on episode 609 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we bring back Dr. Neil Baum and discuss his book, Men's Complete Health Guide, Expert Answers to the Questions You Don't Always Ask. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 609. you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness the 40 plus fitness podcast is here for you each week we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40 i'm coach allen i'm an nasm certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise behavior change performance enhancement and fitness nutrition a Precision Nutrition Level 1 coach, a FAI Certified Functional Ageling Specialist, and an OTA Level 2 Online Trainer. Each week, I'm joined by our co-host, Coach Rachel. She is an NASM Certified Personal Trainer and a RRCA Level 1 Run Coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. Are you struggling to get and stay fit? There are three reasons we, you know, people over 40, can't get fit and stay fit. Number one is not knowing what to do. Number two is injuries. And third is finding the motivation to be consistent. I have the solution. The six-week Be Fit for Task program. This hybrid program takes the best parts of small group training and gives you the one-on-one support and guidance from me, Coach Allen. You'll know what to do, avoid injuries, and have the accountability to stay motivated and consistent. You'll get great results, guaranteed. The next cohort starts October 8th. There are limited slots available. Learn more and apply at 40plusfitness.com forward slash apply. That's 40plusfitness.com forward slash apply. Our guest today is Professor of Clinical Urology at Tulane Medical School. He has written several books on managing a medical practice, long-running columns in American Medical News and Urology Times, and more than 250 peer-reviewed articles on various urology topics. He also holds the patent for a urethral catheter He is a speaker both nationally and internationally on medical topics. With no further ado, here's Dr. Neil Baum. Dr. Baum, welcome back to 40 Plus Fitness. Alan, it's so good to be back and talk with you about something near and dear to me, and that is my baby for the past two years. You know, it's very interesting when you write a book, every person who's a good cook, you know, someone says, yada, yada open up a restaurant or every doctor, you know, who's approached, oh, that's really a good idea. You need to write a book. Well, let me tell you that you don't open a restaurant or you don't open, write a book with the idea that it's going to take off and you're going to be on the New York Times bestseller list. It doesn't work that way. And also, it takes longer to write a book than to have a baby. So when I say this is my baby, you you know, I really mean it. Yeah, I do. I, you know, when I wrote my book, it was, you know, I got it done in a little over nine months. And that was fast. You know, everybody's like, how did you write a book? And, and I was like, well, I, was, I didn't have, I didn't do anything else. I mean, I literally was 
this was all I did was write a book. <laughs> so when you're when that's all you're doing, it can seem like it's pretty fast. But if you're actually trying to live a life and enjoy yourself and actually get some other things done, it is a lot of work. And this, you know, the books that that you've put out, it's like okay, I I know a lot's happened in in science and in technology and in the medical field in the last five years, but. This was really, really good. I, I learned more about my body in this book than I think anything else I've read in a long, long time. And, you know, the interesting thing was, well, as a guy, you know, we've got this this really interesting organ in our body. It's called a prostate. And what seems like a, a fairly benign function <laughs> that we like to use as often as we can, <laughs> but it can go wonky when we get older. And cause us cause us a good bit of grief as we get older. And you know, as a man, and I, I deal with the same thing every other man does is we don't want to go to the doctor. <laughs> we don't want to complain about things. And so sometimes this uh, this prostate can get in our way and make our lives really, really uncomfortable and deadly at some levels. It's the second largest cancer or most common cancer is prostate cancer. And while it doesn't kill as effectively as say lung cancer or pancreatic cancer, it is still a, a very dangerous thing and something we've got to be very careful about. And I just really like the way you put this book together and some of your other books that I've read in that you're giving us the guidance to ask the right questions because each of us has our own journey as we deal with these issues. We have to have information to make good decisions and your book gives us great tools to do that. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about your books today. Well, thank you. You know, that is really kind of one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because most men all over America have an attitude, if it ain't broke, you don't have to fix it. And that may, you know, apply, you know, to your car, but it doesn't apply to this wonderful body that we've been given that we have to take care of. And most men tend to shut down when they go into the doctor's office. They just zip it up. They don't ask the right questions. The majority of men over the age of 50 have heard the word prostate. They don't have a clue where it is and what it does. And so that's why I think a book like this is really important and why I'm so delighted to participate in this podcast because we have the opportunity to get the word out, to help educate men, to make them informed so they can make good decisions about their health. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about the kind of an almost a aging natural thing that's going to happen. And that is that our prostate's likely to enlarge as we get older. The symptoms we most frequently recognize are I have to go to the bathroom a lot more often. And so, you know, it's kind of the old man of, okay, or you're waking up a few different times during the night to go to the bathroom and, you know, then you're up again to go again more often than you probably should be. So let's talk about why the prostate enlarges and, and what we can or should do about that. All right. Let me start by describing a little bit the anatomy of the prostate and, and its function. The prostate normally, up until the age of 50, is a walnut-sized organ, and it surrounds the tube going from the bladder to the outside of the body. That tube going through the penis is called 
the urethra, U-R-E-T-H-R-A. And that tube is surrounded by the prostate like a donut. And the tube goes inside the donut. As men get older, for reasons not entirely understood, that prostate gland enlarges. And as it enlarges, it presses down on that tube that goes through the penis. As a result, men, the bladder has difficulty squeezing and getting the urine out. And now the man starts to have the symptoms. They start to dribble. The, the stream is not as strong as it was when they were younger. So a young man in his 20 or 30s can stand a foot or two away from the toilet or the don't, don't do that though. Your wife will hate you for it. So don't just stand close. <laughs> yeah. yeah or, 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 or for sure, when you lift up the seat, put it down. Yeah, yes. I, I'm constantly <laughs> reminded that I've got to put, put the seat down. So we have a decrease in the force of the stream and we have to stand closer. We dribble after we're done. And so a man who's wearing khaki pants and he goes to the bathroom and he thinks he's done and he walks away and he'll have a little circle on his pants reminding him that he wasn't quite done as he thought as he thought he was. So now we have the stream and because the bladder is squeezing harder, it doesn't empty all of its contents. So imagine a gas tank and the gas tank is always half full. So therefore you don't have to put more, much more fluid in before you have to go again. So you go frequently. But the issue that really impacts men with this benign condition, it's not malignant, it's benign growth of the prostate is getting up at night to urinate. If a man gets up once or twice a night, no big deal. When he starts getting up four or five times a night, he doesn't sleep as well. His sleep is interrupted. When he wakes up in the morning, he doesn't feel like he's got a good night's sleep. And it's the getting up at night that really impacts the man's quality of life. And often that's what sends him to the doctor for assistance. Most men over the age of 50 start to develop mild to moderate symptoms and it doesn't impact their quality of life. And as a result, they tend to have, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And they, they don't get help. However, the majority of men over the age of 60 and 70 have these symptoms and it does affect their quality of life. And as a result, they do turn up to the doctor's office and they often seek treatment. The treatment usually in the beginning is uh, medication. There are drugs that are available that can shrink the prostate. There are drugs that can also open up and relax the muscles. But these 
drugs have side effects, side effects which include problems with ejaculation. So instead, when a man ejaculates, the bladder muscle squeezes and the fluid from the prostate goes outside the body. When you give those uh, medication that relaxes the muscle, that relaxes the muscle, now when the man ejaculates, the fluid goes back into his bladder, doesn't hurt anything, and it comes out when he urinates. But most men like the fact that the fluid comes out when, when they, when they ejaculate. It is important to them. Now there are, when the medications don't work or the side effects are uncomfortable, there are now procedures that can be done usually in the doctor's office that can use lasers. They can use pins to tack the prostate up and widen the opening and decrease the resistance of the flow of urine. And so almost all men who have this problem can be helped. And the majority of it's very common. And the majority of men over the age of 60, 70, and 80 are going to have these symptoms that can significantly impact their quality of life. And the important thing I'd like to get across to our listeners is that it is treatable. Now let's go to prostate cancer. You mentioned, and you're correct, it's the second most common cause, second most common cancer in men, particularly over the age of 50, second only to cancer of the lung. Both prostate cancer and lung cancer are lethal, but prostate cancer is very slow growing. The incidence of prostate cancer is about a one in 11. And it usually is the point I want to make. If there's anything I'd like to get across during this interview is that early prostate cancer has no symptoms. There are no symptoms. The urination problem is not indicative of prostate cancer. If the prostate cancer grows and it starts to have bleeding and it spreads to bones and other areas of the body, that's too late. And then it's difficult to be cured. And so I want to point out it's a disease of aging. Not very common in men under the age of 40, really very uncommon, a little more common in 50 and 60. By the time someone is 80, almost all men over the age of 80, if they were to look at their prostate after when they die from heart disease, diabetes, or another cancer, and they look at the prostate, they find cancer in the prostate. So my message is that you don't die from necessarily from prostate cancer, but you die with it. Now, the good news is that there are screening tests, a blood test, it's called PSA, prostate-specific antigen. It's a very simple blood test. 
that can be done as an outpatient. And if it is elevated, then there are additional tests and oftentimes a biopsy is required. Now, the important thing to remember is that this is a screening test. It doesn't mean a man has prostate cancer. There are many situations that can increase the PSA. The PSA can even increase if a man has sexual intimacy and has an orgasm and ejaculates the day before the test because the prostate gland squeezes and that can elevate the PSA. Let me back up a second. I never did mention the role of the prostate. When a man is younger, the prostate creates the fluid that allows the sperm to go and to, at the time of a sexual intimacy, the sperm is in this nutrient fluid, the prostate fluid, and allows it to inseminate and to start the fertilization process and for the couple to, to have a child. So that's the purpose of the prostate. And as we get older, we're not interested in reproducing anymore. The prostate really has no function. It really is bothersome, particularly from the benign enlargement. But the point that I would like to make is that a man should have a discussion with his doctor about screening. Would the patient want to know that if he is at risk for prostate cancer, and the risks are age, the older you are, the more likely you are to have it. African-American men have a higher risk than Caucasian men. And the other risk factor is if you have a close relative, brother, uncle, even cousin, it's less with cousin, brother, uncle, or father with prostate cancer, that is places you at a higher risk, and you probably should start PSA testing earlier, late 40s or early 50s. Now, there's also a, if I understand right, when you were, because well, in the book, you were talking about the, there's a particular in, the, in, our, in our genes that's common for women to know that they're at higher risk for breast cancer. And that same mutation also puts us at higher risk for prostate cancer. Is that true? Yes, the BRCA gene. Yeah, yeah. And it's particularly useful in women because if they have it, they're at increased risk and they need to get mammograms more frequently. If they is used as part of the screening for men, if they have it, then they are at higher risk for prostate cancer. And they too need to be screened more frequently. When I say screen frequently, it's once a year. Yeah. I, I had a doctor that, that wanted me to do the PSA pretty regular. And then I had a an incident in X. It was an infection not long ago. And, and the doctor, of course, that's kind of one of the standard things. They sent me in for the PSA. So I've known about the PSA for quite some time. But one thing I learned in your book was that there's more than just PSA. It's, it's, it's a deeper, deeper thing. There's free PSA. There's pro PSA. Can you talk a little bit about those? Because I think there's there's a lot more screening out there than just this one simple little blood test. Well, 
it starts with the PSA test. And if that is elevated, they can measure two types of PSA. There's free and bound PSA or free and total PSA. And the free PSA is circulating with not being bound to protein in the bloodstream. And they can take that ratio and there's a cutoff at 25%. And if it is greater than 25%, therefore, that is uh, places you at a higher risk for prostate cancer. And you may need to go to the next level, which is a prostate ultrasound and possibly a biopsy. I also point out that part of the examination that a man should have on a regular basis, and I think we are going to talk about healthy lifestyles, and that is the annual exam, which includes what's called the digital rectal exam. Now, now heads up real quick. When they say digital, we're not talking electronic. Um, no. <laughs> it's a different digit, yeah. <laughs> this, this, this finger. The, yeah. Digi- the, digital, the digital rectal exam. It's uncomfortable, yes. Yes. Painful, not. Not really, no. It would be equivalent to a woman having a pelvic exam. Women don't like to have a pelvic exam, but it is not painful. It is uncomfortable. And the same thing, you know, men just don't have things placed there. And it feels like a foreign object in there. And it's uncomfortable. And it lasts three seconds. So, at most, yeah, at most. Yeah, <laughs> suck it, suck it up, guys. Yeah. You can handle the digital rectal yeah. exam. So that's part of it. And I recommend that men over the age of seventy stop getting a PSA test. If you have prostate cancer at age seventy or seventy-five, you don't need any treatment. Treatment is 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 not necessary. That, You're going to that die is somewhere with- that that's somewhere I wanted to go because you brought up something I think was really really important in the book was this isn't always I mean we think cancer and we think oh my god I got to do something but sometimes just actively monitoring yourself is actually the best thing to do because of the downside risks that some of the surgeries could have on us. Can you talk a little bit about that? When would we when would we know? Okay, this is something we definitely need to deal with now versus. We can comfortably comfortably sit back and know, yes, I've got the cancer, but it's not going to harm me in the next 5, 10, maybe even 15 years. You're talking about the advice of active surveillance. So let's say a man has an elevated PSA and he gets a biopsy and a biopsy has shades of gray. It's not just black and white. There's shades of gray and there are various scores that the pathologist will give. And so there's very almost normal cells that are cancer called well-differentiated cells. And then there are highly malignant cells. And if you have well-differentiated cells and PSA is mildly elevated between 4 and 10, mildly elevated. Active surveillance is definitely appropriate. But that means coming back to the doctor every four to six months 
and getting a PSA. And if it go, jumps up significantly, and then you might have to have another biopsy. And if that shows more aggressive cancer, then you might have to proceed to definitive treatment. And we can talk about the side effects of treatment. And the treatment usually, if the disease is confined to the prostate, no spread outside the prostate, the two options, the common options are surgical removal of the whole prostate gland or radiation therapy. Both of these have adverse events or side effects. And it's often these side effects that discourage men from having the surgery or the radiation. With the surgery, they can become, it'll affect their erections. Their ability to achieve and maintain an erection is diminished. And they can have a problem of loss of urine, which is terrible situation that it can ruin a man's quality of life. And he has to wear a diaper or he has to have additional surgery because of the loss of, of urine. It's embarrassing. The man often becomes reclusive. They can become depressed. It's a, it's a terrible situation for a man, but he needs to know that if he's going to have the surgery. It doesn't occur with radiation, but they can also have a problem of impotence. So if it, let's just say a man's 60 years of age. He's sexually active. He is, has a very low malignancy. His PSA is between four and 10. Active surveillance, if he's committed to close follow-up, is definitely appropriate. Now take a man 70 years of age, and if he has comorbid conditions, he's, let's say, he's diabetic, heart disease, high blood pressure, and has got other, you know, medical problems. He has COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. He has shortness of breath. He probably isn't going to live five years with all those core mor mor morbid conditions. In that situation, I wouldn't recommend that he have surgery because the quality of life that he will have afterwards could be severely affected. He's already having problems. He's already short of breath. He's already taking five to seven pills a day, okay? So that man would not be, in my opinion, would not be a, a candidate for definitive treatment. On the horizon, Alan, are new treatments called focal therapy. Instead of treating the whole gland with uh, radiation or remove it, removing the whole gland, they can just go in and do an equivalent as what's called a lumpectomy in a woman with breast cancer. Instead of removing the whole breast, there are certain situations where you just remove the lump. Well, this is the equivalent called the nickname for it is a male lumpectomy. That's on the horizon. And 
There are studies being conducted now and following these men. And it looks very promising that you don't, you know, if it's caught early enough, listen, if it occupies the whole gland, well, then you remove it. But if it occupies one little tiny area and they can localize that and it's, and they can focus on that particular, you know, area and destroy that cancer in the prostate, I think that's going to be the way to go. And that's going to be, I think, go mainstream in a very short period of time. Studies are being conducted now for focal therapy. Well, and it definitely makes sense because you're going to have fewer side effects and risks associated because you're not removing as much and you're not <laughs> touching on some of the sensitive areas as much. So it's, it's it sounds like a really good breakthrough when they get that out there. But with, what I wanted to come away with um, in just this whole conversation about the prostate is that when you go in to work with your doctor, you do need to educate yourself so that you can make the right decision with your doctor's, you know, guidance. The doctor's not there to make your health decisions for you, but you, you've got to do your homework. You know, you can do a little bit of work here. The good thing about the prostate is that the cancers aren't typically that aggressive and you do have time. You have time to think, you have time to sit down. It's not a panic kind of situation, whereas some of the others, when you catch them, you're, you usually have symptoms, you catch those. Now, now you got to make some decisions. You got to make them pretty quick. And your doctor's going to tell you, you got to make them pretty quick. They're not trying to rush you because they want to do the surgery. They're rushing you because they know it's necessary before it spreads even further. But with the prostate, you do have a little bit more time to think about it and make the right decision for you and your family. I want to pivot a little bit because there were a few things that you got into in the book that, albeit rare, I think it's it's so rare. I mean, it's not as rare as we think it is, but it's it is rare. But it's it's something we wouldn't even think would ever happen. Like you know, and I don't want to get into all of it, but because there's a lot of them. But one of the big ones was the osteoporosis. You know, men know that women suffer from osteoporosis when they get older because they start out with less bone mass, bone density. They experience it usually earlier and and worse, but men can very much suffer from osteoporosis. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what's what's going on there? Because one of the statistics that you had in the book, which was fascinating and scary as heck, is that men are more likely to get hip fractures and have a bad health outcome as a result, much worse so than even women. Osteoporosis is a, in the past, is a disease that women have. Women have osteoporosis. When they go through menopause, the lack of estrogen affects the bone mineral density and weakens the bone. The same thing happens in, in men, not estrogen, but testosterone, the male hormone. And as a result, you know, bone is always undergoing breakdown and rebuilding, breakdown and, and rebuilding. It's in a constant balance. And as long as any uh, bone cells are no longer useful and are replaced by good bone cells, a man's bones are in good shape. However, about one in eight men will have a situation where the breakdown of bone is greater than the remodeling or or new bone, and the bone becomes less dense. And osteoporosis in men is a silent disease. You know, the only time they, they start to have symptoms is when they get a fracture. 
and they get the common fracture in men is the hip bone and the vertebral bone, the back, the spine. Those vertebral bodies can be become crushed and that can affect the nerves that go in between the two vertebral bodies. And that causes severe, severe pain and discomfort. And there are various risk factors that men need to know about that can result in osteoporosis. First of all, it's a a disease of aging. The older you are, the less your body is going to, to make new bone. It also has to do with smoking. Smoking significantly increases the risk of osteoporosis. Family history, if you had a relative, a male relative that had osteoporosis, you're at an an increased risk. And testosterone, as men get older, they lose testosterone about one to two percent a year starting around a, they start losing it around age 30 or 40. So by the time they reach 60, they may have a 40% reduction in testosterone and that affects the bone. And as a result, you know, these men are at risk for a bone fracture, a hip fracture and the collapse of the vertebral body. Some of the signs of this are a man loses height. A man, let's say, is uh, five foot ten at age uh, forty. At age sixty, he may be five nine, five eight and a half, because those vertebral bodies get smaller and get shrink, and the height of the man decreases. There are also the posture of the man; they're a little more bent over, and in bad cases. You can see it in their back, their back, you know, their back uh, sticks out. The appropriate diagnosis is made by a scan called the DEXA scan. This is done in most radiology departments, and they can look at that hip and they can tell you, hey, this is, you are really an increased risk and you need to start taking calcium and vitamin D, because those are promoters of bone of bone health. And so and you take a thousand milligrams of calcium per day and 600 units of vitamin D. Also, you can get vitamin D for free by sunshine. You, you go outside and the skin makes vitamin D if you're exposed to, to sunlight. But you still if you're at risk for osteoporosis and your DEXA scan indicates that, I would still t- recommend that a man take vitamin D. And there's other drugs that are, you know, are, are available. But those are, are the simple thing. And it's also the recognition. If you're at increased risk, you should get this DEXA scan. Doesn't, it's not uncomfortable. Insurance pays for it for the most part. And you can identify, you know, those men who are likely to get this and can start supplementing them with the vitamins, the calcium and various medications 
that can help control it. There, there's another way to control it. It's also a lot cheaper. Resistance training uh, yes. within, within the realm of where you are. You obviously, if you, if you have thin bones and you got issues, you're not going to start throwing a bunch of weight on your back because that's exactly how you get one of those fractures. But being active, doing some resistance training with, with what you can where you are, that additional resistance training is going to train the bone to be a little bit more dense. We're talking about like using weights, yeah, or ba- or bands, <laughs> or bands, yeah, or bands, yeah, or or walking. You know, yeah. getting outside and having a brisk walk or jog, you know, can help. And then also, you can be very proactive and protective and avoid high impact exercises like jogging. Instead, convert to swimming. I, I just bought what's called a rebounder. It's a trampoline. Yeah. It's about three feet wide and has a bar. And you can run on this trampoline and watch TV or engage in exercise. And you're getting a, a, a kind of a good workout. And it's joint protective. Yeah, and it's moving lymph through your system, so you're helping keep your body properly detoxified. Uh, you don't need a you know a detox. You just need to move your body because your muscles are going to do everything you really need them to do if you move around enough. Well, you know, we're going to talk a little bit, I think, about health and fitness and longevity. Yeah, and I would you know like to you know throw this out there that you know we are able to make people live longer. You know, we can increase the lifespan of people. But what we really, our, our real goal is to increase the health span of people. And I'd like people to think about focusing on movement, mobility, and marbles. And those are the two things that I think add to good health and increase the health span as we get older. If you're able to ambulate without a walker, a cane, or a wheelchair, that's a real plus. If you're able to engage in communication and have your memory is still intact, that's a plus. And I think so much of what we're going to talk about in terms of longevity has to do with mobility and the marbles our brain and to preserve to preserve the marbles leads to enhanced quality of life quality of life is terrible if you're confined to a chair you're sedentary and you can't remember you know to take your medicines or what you had for breakfast or who your loved ones are, that's a sad state of affairs. It doesn't have to be that way. I agree. Now, you know, there's a lot of bad things that happened in the last few years since we last talked, you know, with COVID and everything there. But kind of one of the, I guess, the silver linings that have come out of the whole COVID thing is that there's been a a, a seismic shift, in my opinion, moving from the way things used to be with going to your doctor's office and sitting in a waiting room for however long, going to a second waiting room where you wait for the doctor for however other long you're going to be there. The guy comes in, reads your chart, says, okay, 
looks like you've lost a little bit. What about lost some weight, gained some weight? You need to do this. You need to do that. What's your problem today? Oh, you got a sore throat or you got this or that. Well, here, here's a script. I'll see you. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, he might even shake your hand before he takes his gloves off. But most hope of the time, washes, I hope yeah. he washes his hands first. <laughs> Yeah. Either way, he's in there for such a short period of time. And you really, you don't get to ask, if you're not prepared, you're not asking the questions that you need to ask. But with the advent of telemedicine, I'm not driving the 45 minutes to get to my doctor's appointment, getting there early so I'm not late, but then still having to wait until it's late. And so I'm losing three or four hours of a, of a busy work day to go see my doctor. And then he's going to give me the prescription. So I now I got to go by the pharmacy and pick that up. And, and so, you know, now I'm getting home late. And so it's like, well, let's just stop by the grow, you know, stop by the fast food and have dinner because we run out of time to cook dinner. We're all busy and, and it's really hard to prioritize our health when that's what we know is in front of us with regards to most doctor's visits. But we've moved and transitioned over to where telemedicine is, is approved and, and utilized a lot more. Can you talk about telemedicine and how we can lever that to make sure we're getting done what we need to be done with all the other busy stuff we've got going on in our lives? You use the word seismic shift. Is that? I think so. Yeah, I think it's significant. I think it's a a tsunami. It really has changed the course of medicine. In the past, five years ago, before pandemic, the doctor says, I've got to see the patient. I've got to touch the, the patient. I've got to look at body language. Bunch of crap. Really, bunch of crap. A doctor, you know, if I was, I can see you now. I can, you know, talk to you now. Yeah. I can see you. I can take care of 50% of urologic problems over virtual, using virtual medicine. If you have enlarged prostate, I can talk about your symptoms and your medication and I can make adjustments. If you have erectile dysfunction, I can talk about the risk factors and about uh, getting your diabetes under control, and I can write you a prescription, and I can follow you. If you have a urinary tract infection, I can send you to the lab to get a urine culture, and then I can prescribe an antibiotic, and then a few days, seven to 10 days later, can contact you again on telemedicine and I can follow you, follow up. If you've had prostate surgery and you are having a normal course and you're off of your medications and you need advice about when you can go back to activities, I can give you that advice over the using telemedicine and video conferencing. If you have incontinence, I can manage that oftentimes, you know, using virtual medicine. Point I'm trying to make is that there are so many conditions that can be managed this way. And we have now come to the realization that the doctor can practice good medicine, good medicine, without having to touch the patient and without the patient having to go to bricks and mortar offices. The doctor has to recognize 
just as you said, trip to the doctor could be four to six hours out of your day for just a routine follow-up. Four to six hours until you leave your office, travel there, find the parking, get in there, fill out the paperwork, wait in the reception area, wait, and then go get the prescription and come home. It can be four to six hours. And that's time when you should be productive at work. And the doctor doesn't, hasn't realized the, you know, he sees him in 10 minutes. Well, that's 10 minutes for the doctor. That's four hours, you know, to the patient. I also want to point out that another boon to telemedicine is the doctor now gets paid for it as if it were an in-office visit. So that was, has become a motivator. But now I think doctors have learned that they can be good doctors. You're not, you're not blowing the patient off. You know, you can have a longer, more comfortable visit. You can have the patient monitor their blood pressure and their weight, you know, at home. They can do home testing, you know, for glucose. There are so many things that now, you know, with fitness trackers and sleep monitors, there are so many ways that you can care for the patient. And telemedicine is really a big plus for patients and for doctors. And also, I have found that when you do telemedicine, the patient is on time and so is the doctor. In the past, you know, the the doctor was late and he was 45 minutes, an hour late. The doctor got away with it. You know, just say, oh, I was in the emergency room. I had a sick patient the previous day. Now, when you have a telemedicine, I said to you, I'll be available at two o'clock. You knew I was going to be on time and I knew you were going to be on time. And that's the way telemedicine works. And so it's much more efficient, much, much more efficient. And it's good, and it's good medicine. Yeah. And, and a lot of times people won't follow up. And because of that same thing, it's like, okay, well, I, I don't feel anything bad right now because I got done what I wanted. I got the script. I feel better. And they want to go back to their lives. But the doctor says, okay, we'll set a follow-up appointment for two weeks. And you don't do that follow-up appointment if you're feeling okay. Because the problem especially, is, well, especially, <laughs> especially men, Yeah, especially men, women are much better at follow-up. Men are derelict. And so this is this is a good opportunity, you know, with, with doctor, particularly if you're going to look at going to a, a new doctor or specialist, have the conversation with them. Do you do telemedicine? Can I set up appointments and do this over video? It's going to save me a ton of time. It's going to save you a ton of time. And we're going to be able to communicate a lot better because I'll be prepared instead of being all flustered. And the other side of it is I can put a blood pressure monitor sitting in my own living room. My blood pressure is going to be a lot lower than having driven across town and walking into a doctor's office. It's going to be more natural to how my normal afternoon would be if I don't have to go to that trouble. My advice to people embarking on a new physician is to interview that new doctor, ask pay for the interview. Usually they don't charge for it. You pay for the interview. You read my book. 
Yeah, there's questions. He's he, you, You've got a whole script in there. Here, here's yeah. what you say when you walk in the door, yeah, and here's what the question. doctor's probably going to ask you to sign this uh, this waiver, basically, informed consent form. And so these are the things you're going to expect, and you've laid it out in the book very, very clear. You know, when you go in, ask these questions. If they don't feel comfortable with the answer, go back to your insurance company, find another doctor on the list that you, you know you can interview. Well, and also you you are correct. You want to ask. Will you agree to telemedicine for five? Not the, the first visit, I really don't think should be a telemedicine visit. I think you need to develop rapport, yeah. you know, with the, the doctor. And I think, I mean, it can be done. My, uh, art style was to visit the patient for the first time, you know, and examine and yeah. touch my hands on the patient and examine the patient. But then you are finding, does he, does the doctor do telemedicine? Does the doctor do email? Does the doctor return email and phone calls within 24, 48 hours? You know, you don't want to wait yeah. two weeks to get a report. And does the doctor have a portal? The portal is that this records the results of laboratory testing and imaging that becomes transparent between the doctor and the patient that is put up on the portal. It's encrypted, which means nobody else can look at it. You have to have a username yeah. and password. And I, and I think most, most of us that we've used online banking, so we're very comfortable with logging right. into a website exactly. and seeing things that we don't want other people necessarily see. There's all your transactions laid out. This is similar. You know, your details are going to be there. So when your doctor tells you, well, okay, yeah, your your cholesterol is a little high. Your HDL is really, really good. Your LDL is a little elevated. Your triglycerides are down. You know, here's what I feel the course of action should be based on what I see in front of me. And you can see it too. And you can say, well, okay, that makes sense based on what I see and what the doctor says versus, yeah, you got to wait, get a piece of paper. When you walk in the office, you're scanning through it and trying to figure out what the doctor is going to ask you and talk to you about. And there's so much going on because they're weighing you and then they're taking you to a little room and now you're stuck versus if there's a portal, you go in there, you look up your details, you kind of have some questions that you know are on the top of your mind. If the doctor doesn't bring it up, you bring it up. So it's a much fuller and, and better prepared conversation on both sides. I would like to mention that the healthcare for patients is so much better if they prepare for the visit. And that means, you know, writing out what questions do you, I used to give out a card, a three by five card. It says, what three questions would you like to ask the doctor today? That avoided me putting, thinking that I'm done managing the patient, put my hand on the doorknob, ready to walk out and say, wait, I got one more question. <laughs> and that's not a good way to ask the, the question. You write it out. You think about what you want to accomplish, you know, uh, on your your visit, and you share that, you know, with the doctor. And the doctor appreciates that. If you write it out, give the doctor the the papers that I like to cover these three things today. You know, these are three mm -hmm. questions I would like to ask you. You're a better patient, and you're going to have a better health outcome when you are proactive. You know. Women start the, you know, from a pediatrician and then they start having reproductive in their twenties and thirties and they start 
seeing the obstetrician and they do get the women are much better at breast self-examination than men are with testicle self-exam. And the point that I'm making is that women have a relationship with their doctors from the time of their pediatrician till their middle age. A man at the age of 18, when he goes off to college, he's done with the doctor and he doesn't see a doctor till he's 50. And if he's lucky. <laughs> yeah, if he's lucky, you'll get to see the doctor at, at, at age 50. But men, you know, really don't have the same healthcare experience that women have. And as a result, men are in the dark. They become silent. They don't know what to ask. And as a result, you know, I think their health, you know, lingers on. You know, their problems linger on. You know, they don't get diagnosed with hypertension. Guy, a guy could be never see a doctor and hypertension is silent. You don't feel that your, you know, blood pressure is up. The men are, are silent and they don't seek out healthcare till they're about 50 when things start to break down. And so really, you know, this kind of a book answering these questions and preparing the patient for a visit, you know, to the doctor is very, very helpful. I was, you know, I never resented patients who come in with a briefcase full of articles from the internet. And I just say, I, I don't think that's the place to go for your healthcare. Oftentimes those aren't credible sites. Let me give you a list of credible sites that are available to you. And let's go from there. But I never resent a patient wanting more information about their health. I think that's a good thing. Not I, I, I do too. I do too. To discourage, not to discourage, but to promote. Dr. Baum, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Diet and exercise. I got it down to two. Okay. We are an unhealthy nation. Obesity is a, is not a problem of willpower. It's a disease and it needs to be treated and it needs to be treated early on. And proper nutrition is so very, very important. And I think if you have a good diet, fresh fruit, vegetables, lean meat, chicken, fish, avoiding trans fat and polyunsaturated oils, having high fiber in the diet is very important. Absence of artificial sweeteners and diet drinks should be avoided. Smoking cessation moderate alcohol alcohol is good you know you know the the books say you know one drink a day i think for a man one to two glasses of wine a day is probably medicinal and healthy and so i don't tell men you have to be a, a, a teetotaler limiting the caffeine consumption especially 
you know, late in the day because it can affect your ability to sleep. And insomnia is a problem of middle age and older men. And then exercise. You know, we are a sedentary nation. We sit still far, far too long. And there are so many things that we can do, so many ways that we can exercise. Like that rebounder I talked about. You know, I could be have a rebounder right here and I could be jumping on the rebounder and, and talking to you and not feel that I'm not giving you my undivided attention. Walking the stairs, walking up the stairs, not down, and having 10,000 steps a day. That's five miles. And you have to wear a tracker. Did you have a watch, a fitness watch? I, I have a, a phone and I carry the phone in my pocket. Okay. And that, right. yeah, that, that, that tracks my steps when I, yeah. have a, when I'm out, so, I make sure I have my phone in my pocket. Okay. So 10, 10,000 steps a day and 150 minutes a week of aerobic activity. And that is some form of brisk walking, jogging, tennis, swimming, 150 minutes a week. There are four conditions that are impacting this nation and the American healthcare budget. American healthcare budget over $4 trillion a year, 18% of GDP. More than we spend on military, we spend on healthcare. And yet in America, we don't have the outcomes that compare to a nation like Sweden, Denmark, Germany, France, who spend about half that amount on healthcare per capita on their population. And we don't have the outcomes to support all that spending. And there are four diseases, four conditions that are that bloating the healthcare budget. That is cardiovascular disease, hypertension, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, and neurodegenerative disease, Alzheimer's disease. All of those are reasonably preventable. And with proper diet and exercise and, you know, a few other things, you know, healthy lifestyle. Use the seatbelt every time. Go around the block, put the seatbelt seatbelt on. Smoking cessation. Don't engage in foolhardy, you know, activities. Don't go bungee jumping at age sixty. You know, that's that's probably not healthy to do. But practice good lifestyle and habits. Get seven hours of sleep a night. Good dental hygiene, which means brushing and flossing your teeth. I see you looking. looking your teeth. <laughs> you can't help it. You can't help okay, it. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. Flossing your teeth. You know, so much of health, poor health can occur with a bad mouth. If you have periodontitis, you know, and you brush your teeth or and it gets into your bloodstream, that can make you real sick and cause chronic inflammation. And then screening tests, 
you know, screening tests for colon and rectal cancer with a, a stool test, which we could go into, but you know what I'm talking about. Colonoscopy, depending on your risk factors, the PSA test, cardiogram, chest x-ray, you know, these are preventive health that can take those four conditions and move them off off the plate. So, uh, Dr. Yeah. Someone, someone wanted to learn more about you, learn more about your books, including the it's called Men's Complete Health Guide, Expert Answers to Questions You Don't Always Ask. Where would you like for me to send them? Send them to Amazon.com. Okay. There. I'll have the, oh. of the links in the show notes. You can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 609, and I'll be sure to have links to the books there. And one other book that I highly recommend is Outlive by Peter Atiyah. And I'd like that to be in the show the show notes as well. Sure thing. Because this is written for lay people about trying to make our health span equal to our lifespan. We've done a really good job with lifespan. You know, from a hundred years ago, we've added 20 years to our lifespan. But now we need to talk about the health span. And this book goes through a lot of practical ideas that we have discussed today that I highly recommend this book as well as my own. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. I look forward to getting together with you again, Alan. Last time it was five years. Let's not make it that long. Let's not. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Alan. Okay. Hey, Raz. Hey, Alan. It was nice that you had Dr. Baum back. That's pretty cool to have a repeat author on your show. He must be yeah. very prolific with his books. Yeah, I, I barely remembered the interview I'd had with him back then, other than it was a, it was a, an interesting title, like "How's It Hanging?" You know, it was the title of his book, and uh, so this was this was this was a lot more. I would say this was a little bit more formalized, and he was doing it with other doctors. So the men's complete health guide obviously doesn't have as much swagger as "How's It Hanging," uh, but <laughs> yeah, you know. And five years, a lot's happened in the field of surgery, you know, around prostate cancer and some of the issues there. So I was was glad to have that conversation with him. You know, Dr. Baum's written a lot of books on on this topic, and particularly he has one that's on prostate cancer, which is is awesome as well. And then How's It Hanging is a very similar book, but maybe a little bit more casual than this one. It's really Mm -hmm. just to get men aware that we have these health issues, whether we want to admit it or not. And if we wait till we're broken, if we wait till we're broken, sometimes that's too late to really fix the core problem. And so Mm -hmm. that's why I wanted to have him on to have this conversation. And, and, you know, things like telemedicine is a game changer because when you can sit down and just call your doctor, it's 15 minute phone call, and then you're back to work. You know, you literally close your office door or you go somewhere where, you know, like a conference room and you sit down and have a 15 minute conversation with your doctor and then you're back in the work. You're, you didn't have to drive across town. You didn't oh have to gosh. sit in a waiting room. You didn't have to do mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And the doctor can basically help you meet your health go- outcome goals right there on the mm-hmm. phone. 
I think that's huge. And ladies, you can schedule the call and don't tell your husband. <laughs> and just hand him the phone. He's like, this yes. is for you. Who is this? Your doctor. Have a conversation. And then oh, gosh. <laughs> I you love have a that. list of questions. Have a list, a list of questions for him right there. Hand him the paper, hand him the phone, and then just say, go. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's 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 high time that it happened. I'm glad that it's yeah. happening. The way it had to happen with COVID and everything is, is kind of sad. But the shiny silver lining of this whole thing is that telemedicine is now a commonplace. Mm-hmm. Before I had a doctor, my health doctor, he, we were telemedicine because I didn't live where he is. You know, I would go in there about once a year mm-hmm. and see him in person. But other than that, no, I was anywhere else in the world, you know, mm-hmm. Malaysia, Africa. I even called him one time from Iran. I mean, Iraq, Gosh. you know, it's like, that's when my Jeez. call was. And I was like, okay, so it's evening. I'm sitting in my hotel room in Iraq and I have a phone call with my doctor. We were able to do that. And, you know, but he was kind of cutting edge. He was, he was doing things that other doctors weren't doing at that point in time, which was why he was my doctor. And I didn't have to be in the hometown with him because I didn't have to go see him every time I wanted to see him or talk to him. Um, mm-hmm. I had a doctor that I could call. Uh, when I needed a call. So I'm really glad that telemedicine's out there. Uh, This is a, this is a really good book though. This is for guys. This is just a good book for you to kind of just go through. And it's not even something where you'd have to read it from cover to cover. Like I did, you know, it's, it's where you can sit down and say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm curious about this. Mm -hmm. And you can flip to that section of the book. There are parts that I say, read the whole thing because he has an anatomy lesson on the front. And you may think you know your junk, but there's a lot more <laughs> down there than you think. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so this is just a good idea. It's like, why Why is this happening? Why, why am I experiencing this? Is mm-hmm. this normal? Is this bad? What does this mean? And so this is just a really good primer for you to understand the, the anatomy and understand what's going on there. And then just recognize some of these things just don't come to mind, like osteoporosis. Right. Um, and the fact that, yeah, if you fall and break your hip, you could be in big, big trouble. So making sure you're getting adequate nutrition, resistance exercise, all those things we yes. talk about every week, they're important. And they're important for women and they're important for men. And so don't poo-poo something you learn about women because men, we might have some of the similar issues because guess what? We got bones too. Yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep. These are all good things. And it's good to have this, like you said, this type of primer, because sometimes you don't realize what's happening until it's maybe a little bit too late or, or hard to bring that back with treatment or, or whatever, especially like the the PSA screenings. You, you know, I talk about cancer screenings all the time with you, Alan, and, and PSA is a simple one. You get your um, PSA score and you, and you keep an eye on it until yeah. um, it needs further attention. It's a simple screening screening and could save you a lot of trouble in the long run. Right. And so this is something that's changed considerably since the last time I talked to Dr. Baum was before it was you got your PSA and mm-hmm. then you got your, your digital check, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which was not digital, it's very analog. Um, mm-hmm. And then you get that check. And then the doctor said, I think there's something we need to do here. Most of the time, the next solution was the biopsy. Mm-hmm. So now they're doing a biopsy. Now that's okay. But one of the problems with a biopsy is whenever you cut into a cancer, it has the potential to spread faster. So it can metastasize because you cut it. And mm-hmm. so the biopsy is not necessarily a thing you want to do. You don't have to. So a lot of doctors wanted to push for the MRI before the biopsy, which tells them a lot more about where the lump is, how it's lumped. 
So mm-hmm. they, they know where, also now they can do a better biopsy because they know more, but mm-hmm. MRIs were very, very expensive, particularly five years ago. So sure. most insurances didn't want to pay for that. They wanted the biopsy first, find that there's cancer, prove there's cancer, mm-hmm. and then you can do your your MRI so that you know what kind of surgery or what kind of interventions you want to do. Things have changed a good bit now. Now there are other additional tests, you know, the, the mm. PSA plus and all other stuff. And there's some uh, 4K tests and other things that can be done before. So your PSA might be high, but that doesn't mean there's a cancer. Right. And so they can do these other tests that are non-invasive before they start worrying about MRIs and biopsies and all that kind of stuff. And then they may it fine. Well, no, you know, your risk is very, very low. This is not an aggressive form. This is not a problem. We're just going to actively watch this. I don't right. think you called it actively watch, but I, kind of my way of thinking about it was yeah. you know, just not doing anything, which kind yeah. of sounds weird. You know, well, there's a cancer yeah. growing in me. How do I just not do that? But the reality is you don't want that biopsy if you don't need to. And right. then if it isn't spreading, you don't necessarily want to mess with the prostate because it has, there's some downsides to those surgery and putting it off for even mm-hmm. a few years might mean that they come up with some technologies that make that surgery a lot safer. So sure. you may not have to have the side effects, but yes, jumping on it right now and saying, I got to get that out of my body. You're, you're taking a risk and you're taking a yeah. higher risk than you might by waiting and doing it later if you have to yep. do it. Yep. That's really great. It's, it's awesome to see how technology and the study of different cancers like the prostate cancer has advanced over the years. It it just makes things a lot easier. And yeah, he called it active surveillance. There are yeah. cancers that could be present, but inert and can just are fine just hanging out, not yeah. causing problems. And, and some of us, <laughs> you know, whether we want to admit it or not, we're, mm-hmm. we're older and we're sicker. We got a lot of other things going on in our body that are going to kill us long before a prostate right. cancer would. Yeah. And so that's the other side of it is, do you want to take that risk and, and maybe mm-hmm. mess up the quality of life that you have for the foreseeable future when that's not going to be what takes you out, Mm -hmm. you know? But I love this book by Dr. Baum. I hope that all the men and maybe even the wives (laughs) in our um, men's lives um, or loved ones share that with our, with our husbands who we know don't often choose to go to the doctor. (laughs) It's a a good thing just to have. And I know it's a few few months before Christmas, but um, hey, if you're looking for a gift idea <laughs> for a man in your life, this this there might be go. a pretty good one. <laughs> Sounds great, Ellen. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk to you next week. Take care. You too. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Robin Long and discuss her book, Well to the Core, a realistic, guilt-free approach to getting fit and feeling good for a lifetime. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.